Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of It's Crime Time. I just want to apologize for this episode being a bit late. Yesterday wasn't that great of a day, so I really just needed a mental day to relax. Just when I thought I knew true crime cases well, I discovered the story of Polly Class. I don't recall ever hearing about this case before my research for this episode, but I may just be forgetful or overwhelmed with cases I've heard and can't remember all of them, obviously, but this one happened the year I was born and is a famous case of child abduction. Polly Glass became known as America's Child, and this case is the one that helps pave the way for Megan's Law and Amber Alerts. All right, everyone, it's crime time. Polly Hannah Class was born on January 3, 1981, to parents Eve and Mark Class in Fairfax, California. Polly was the only child of the couple. Eve and Mark divorced when Polly was just two years old. Polly lived with her mother in Petaluma, California, and later her mother gave birth to another baby girl named Annie after she remarried briefly to a man named Alan Nickel. Polly was known for her beautiful curly hair and warm smile. She had a love of theater and attended summer camps at the Cinnabar Theater. There are videos you can search for of her musicals online. She was quite a talented actress and singer. She attended the Petaluma Junior High School and lived in a gray home near the street with a sidewalk in front on 4th Street. On the night of October 1st, 1993, Polly did what most girls her age at 12 years old like to do. She planned a sleepover with two of her close friends, Kate McLean, and Jillian Pelham. Polly, wearing Mickey Mouse ears, waited on the arrival of her friends. Jillian arrived early, wearing a hat with antlers. Then, Kate soon came, and the three girls were excited to eat ice cream, try on Halloween costumes, and play board games. Polly's mother checked on the girls at about 9.45 p.m. as they were being too loud and she was suffering from a migraine and needed to sleep. She took her prescription medication to help her headache and try to block out the noise. After this, the girls decided to play a board game called Perfect Match. At 10.30 p.m., Polly, unaware that a bearded man was waiting outside her bedroom door, decided to get up to get more supplies for the party. Upon opening the door, Polly was terrified, but her friends thought it was some joke that had been planned. But the girls then noticed the man had a knife and this was no joke. He told the girls to lie on their stomachs and that if they screamed, he would slit their throats. He tied the girls up with some cloth and cords cut from the Nintendo. He questioned the girls, asking them who else was in the home with them and which one of the girls lived at the home. Polly told him that she lived there. He kept telling the girls he was only there for money and he was not going to harm them if they kept quiet. However, he did not search the home for the money, even though Polly had informed him about some money hidden in a jewelry box. He then gagged the girls and covered their heads with pillowcases, telling them that when they counted to a thousand, Polly would be back with them. But he took her and she did not come back. The girls managed to get themselves free and run to Polly's mother's room, where she was awakened by the girls screaming that Polly was gone. Polly's mother quickly phoned the police at 11.03 p.m., and they arrived minutes later to survey the home. 
At one point during questioning, the lead officer thought that the girls had been making this all up as some sort of funny prank. But due to their panic, he knew they were telling the truth. Petaluma police alerted surrounding departments as well as called the FBI to help investigate. Later, a neighbor alerted police that around 10.30 p.m., they saw a man walking up the driveway to Polly's home. But they did not think the man looked suspicious, and he may have just been someone Polly's mother knew. Police had thought at first that Polly's father may have abducted her, but later determined that it was a stranger when Mark was cleared and passed the polygraph test. A palm print was also found on Polly's bunk bed bed frame, and this print did not match anyone Polly's family had known or anyone that had been in the home. Police interviewed and worked with Jillian and Kate to see what they remembered about the abductor, hiring a sketch artist to draw a sketch of the man the girls had described. While the internet was not as advanced at this time, Polly's case was the first case to be shared online, thanks to Bill Rhodes, Larry Majid, and Gary French. The missing poster made for her was shared over two billion times online. The town posted flyers around town and t-shirts were made with Polly's picture on. Eight million flyers were dispersed all across the world. Over 4,000 people searched over a thousand miles of the woods, fields, and meadows. Air support covered 3,000 miles searching for Polly. A search center was even created by the community known as the Polly Class Search Center where they would gather to organize and help spread awareness of Polly's disappearance. This is where they organized to set up and plan their searches also. The center eventually helped with the search for other missing children. Winona Ryder, well-known actress, donated $200,000 to the search for Polly as she was also from Petaluma. Polly's father, Mark's brother-in-law, was house-sitting Mark's home when he received a phone call. It was the voice of a young girl claiming to be Polly who was being held in a hotel room and that the person who was keeping her there left momentarily, but he would be back. Police investigated and tapped the call. Another call came in shortly after, and police tracked the calls to be coming from a place in Hayward. This place was not a hotel, but a family's home. A teenage girl living at the home claimed that she was dared to make the call and it was simply a hoax. Three weeks after Polly had went missing, a man called claiming to have Polly, saying he wanted ransom. This was also determined to be a hoax and simply someone looking to gain some money. This man was arrested. Police even received a tip that Polly was being held in a cabin in the woods in Northern Cali, but SWAT teams went to the cabin in the woods where she was supposedly held by drug dealers. But it was later found that this whole story was also made up. On November 28th, a woman named Dana Joffe, who had actually called police the night of Polly's disappearance, to report a strange man whose car had been stuck in a ditch on her property called police again after finding some suspicious items on her property when walking around with loggers who were clearing trees. The officer investigated Polly's room on the night of her abduction found strips of white cloth on Dana's property that seemed to match the cloth the girls were tied up with. They also found torn ballet tights, a condom, and a man's dark sweatshirt. On the night of October 1st, when Polly was abducted, about two hours after, in Santa Rosa, which is about 25 miles away from Petaluma, Dana had come home from work. And as her nanny was leaving, she spotted a strange man standing along the private road that led to Dana's home. The nanny stopped at a gas station to call Dana and inform her of this man. Dana and her children left the home, where she then called police. Two officers arrived on the scene where they found Richard Allen Davis standing next to his Ford Pinto, which was stuck in a ditch. Police noticed that he had been covered in twigs and leaves and was sweaty and breathing heavily. He matched the description of the kidnapper that had been broadcasted, however, 
Police did not receive this broadcast. Richard told the officers that he was sightseeing and got stuck in a ditch. Police checked his record and left him go, despite the fact that they had found open beer in his vehicle. And he tried to open it in front of them and drink it. He even threw it in a bush where they told him to pick it up. But technically, he had not been driving right at that minute, so they did leave him go. Police later theorized that Richard had already killed Polly and had been coming to collect her body from the woods. Police from this county had no idea that the case for the abduction of Polly had even been started just earlier. Police surveyed Richard for two days but found no new evidence. They found his sister's residence where he was and arrested him. Police obtained Richard's handprint and it turns out that it was indeed a match to the print found on Polly's bed frame. Police still had not found Polly, and Richard was adamant that he had never even been in Polly's home. When police informed him about the palm print being a match, he then confessed to them. He told them he had strangled her and where to find the body. Her body was found off of Highway 101 near Cloverdale on December 3rd. Her remains were found near a fallen tree and were unrecognizable, as it had been two months after. Richard would not give an exact timeline of the events. The police speculate that Polly was murdered on or near Dana's property. Her body was hid in the bushes before police saw him when his car had been caught in a ditch. Polly's mother had lit a candle upon finding out that her daughter was abducted, and when her remains were found nine weeks later, her mother extinguished the candle that sat burning in her window. Polly's memorial service was held just a day before I was born on December 9, 1993. People all over the world mourned her death. Richard was convicted in 1996 of first-degree murder, robbery, burglary, kidnapping, and a lewd act on a child. In court on August 5, 1996, a jury in San Jose returned a verdict sentencing Richard to death. When his verdict was read, Richard stood and gave the camera the middle finger with both hands. During his formal sentencing, he told the court that Polly had said to him, Just don't do me like my dad before he killed her, insinuating that Mark Kless was a child predator. However, this was not the case. When Mark heard this statement in the courtroom, he attempted to lunge at Richard. Mark then left the courtroom to avoid causing any more commotion. But I don't blame him. I wouldn't be able to stand in a room with the man that killed my child either. Judge Thomas C. Hastings stated after reading the death sentence verdict, Mr. Davis, this is always a traumatic and emotional decision for a judge. You made it very easy today by your conduct. I have here just a short little clip of a broadcast by CBS News at this time when he was sentenced. I just want to apologize ahead of time for the audio. It's not that great. He's also allowed to speak. For the first time, he showed some hint of remorse, apologizing to Polly's mother, Eve Nichols. To Eve Nichols and her family, for what it is worth, I do offer my sincere apology. To certain members of the Kloss family, I also offer the same. Then he got in a last word, adding insult to an already unspeakable injury. I would also like to state for the record that the main reason I know that I did not attempt any lewd act and that was because of the statement the young girl made to me when walking her up the embankment. Just don't do me like my dad. I have to pay my dues so Moments later, Richard Allen Davis was sentenced to death. This is all these 
a traumatic and emotional decision for a judge. You've made it very easy today by your conduct. Davis's unsubstantiated accusations were answered quickly outside the courthouse, first by Paulie's grandfather, Joe Class. This man succeeded in what he was trying to do, which was pierce my son through the heart and pierce the rest of the family. It was just plain despicable, and it shows the kind of people child molesters are. It shows the degree and how far he will go to continue to manipulate people and to continue to try and pour on the suffering and the pain and the agony. Mark Class vowed today that he'd be watching in the execution chamber when Richard Allen Davis is put to death. So that was just a short news clip from CBS News back when he was sentenced. Once again, I apologize for the audio. Richard Allen Davis was born on June 2, 1954, in San Francisco, California. He was the third of five children. His parents, Bob and Evelyn Davis, were both supposedly alcoholics. During his trial, his defense attorneys told the court that his mother was very strict, even burning his hands when he was caught smoking cigarettes. He has about a quarter northern Paiute heritage through his mother's parents. He spent some of his childhood on the reservation where they lived in Nevada. Richard's parents divorced when he was 11 years old, and he and his siblings went to live with their father. Their father remarried two times, and Richard hated both of his stepmothers. His father often did not want to care for his children, or could not, as he was mentally unstable. He saw hallucinations and would take his gun outside, shooting at his visions or things he thought he saw. Richard displayed troubling traits as a child, even dousing cats in gasoline and lighting them on fire and carrying a knife around, cutting stray dogs that he saw. He was already involved in so many crime cases in his teenage years. He told a psychiatrist of his that stealing relieved his built-up tension. He dropped out of high school in 10th grade. A judge told him at the age of 17 that he could go to California Youth Authority or join the Army. He joined the Army, but was discharged after 13 months. On October 12, 1973, he went to the party of an 18-year-old girl, Marlene Voris. Marlene was later found dead from a gunshot wound, and seven suicide notes were found at her home. Police ruled it a suicide, but Marlene's friends think that Richard murdered her. He told a psychiatrist that he was affected by her death, and sometimes he heard her voice. At other times, he stated, another voice would appear, telling me she wanted to be assaulted, robbed, or raped. A few weeks later, he was arrested for trying to pawn stolen property and serve six months in jail. He even burglarized South San Francisco High School in 1974. He was later shot in the back by two inmates who he were previously in jail with. In 2019, the governor of California suspended his death sentence. And this, of course, really, really angered Polly's father, Mark. And there's a lot of videos of him talking about this, too. But just look this guy up if you want a bigger list of his crimes. His rap sheet is huge. Like, there's a crazy long list of things he's done. He should have been in prison for life far before he got the chance to abduct and murder Polly. His case helped pave the way for the three strikes law in California. So anyone that has been convicted their third time for a violent crime is sentenced to life. He's now 65 years old and still in San Quentin prison. 
A month after Polly's kidnapping, the Polly Class Search Center filed for nonprofit status and became known as the Polly Class Foundation. Law enforcement officials later changed the way they handled child abduction cases, established better communication amongst police departments, and all 50 states adopted Amber Alert laws. California also enacted the three strikes law to stop violent repeat offenders from offending more than three times before being sentenced to life. Winona Ryder starred in a movie version of Little Women, dedicating it to Polly Class as this was Polly's favorite book. The Polly Class Foundation is still going strong and is dedicated to the efforts to locate missing children and help their families. The website features ways to donate information for families of missing children, other ways to help, and even an always updated list of missing children in the United States. If you'd like to check this out, visit www.pollyclass.org. Polly was cremated and her ashes were later scattered at sea. Her mother's wish is stated on the Polly Class website. Quote, I would like her to be remembered. Her story should result in the community coming together in a way that shows just the very best of humanity. End quote. Okay, listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to and leave me a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, check me out on social media at It's Crime Time Pod.